This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Eric, that's Ryan, that's Matt. Guys, we are gonna dig into Galatians 4 now. Last week on Galatians 3, we kind of went a whole lot of other places, and you know, we kind of got into some little arguments, but I do just wanna reiterate something that, that I said on that podcast is, All of us are in different journeys of our Christian life. We're in different journeys of our theological lives, digging into scripture, digging out of scripture. As my buddy Dale Partridge says, it's not how many years you've been a Christian, it's how many hours. And so when when you're tempted to like just fly off the handle and think one of us said something that was heretical or I can't believe they don't understand that or why don't they think the way that I do and you send me the world's longest email, know that I may not read all of that long email and I may not respond in a way that you like, but everybody here, we're open and we're basically laying bare our potential ignorances or the things that we maybe don't quite understand or parts of the Bible that, you know, to be frank, maybe we're just reading really for the first time with our eyes actually being open. So again, when I say we're bringing you guys along the journey with us, that is one of the things that we're, we're here because we want you guys to see what it's like when people without divinity degrees, without professional Christian bona fides, just coming here to this forging table to actually talk about it. So just wanted to kind of get that out there. But as we dig into Galatians 4, uh, there was something, Eric, that you were talking about off air that I wanted to kind of get in here because this first section, um, I think it's uh, broken out this way in the ESV. It talks about sons and heirs. And so that's uh, Galatians 4, 1 through 7. And in there, you have a lot of talk of sonship, of being an heir, but also about slavery. So I, I basically cut you off before we hit the record button because I wanted you to just go ahead and say it on here. So go ahead and talk about what you're talking about in terms of slavery. Yeah, so my my big takeaway from this, uh, and I really liked this um, this chapter was just this whole idea of slavery. I mean, I think we'd all agree that we as sinners are slaves to sin, and it's through Christ that we are set free from that, so we don't have to be slaves. And so, as I look at this, I'm like, man, you know, if, if we just kind of think about this uh, old school, like if a master had a slave, um, and that master came to his slave and said to him, hey. I've got good news. I'm going to set you free today. You, you've got to be, I mean, there, there's no, no reason to think any different, that that slave would be absolutely and utterly ecstatic. You know, pick up his stuff, leave, be super grateful, go about his life. But what I, what I just was, I, I took away from this, that I just thought was even just bigger than that. It's like, we, we are slaves to sin. God saves us, but He goes a step further. It's like we don't deserve this next thing, but not only does he set us free, he then makes us sons. And that to me is incredible. It's incredible. I I was reminded of the prodigal son. Remember, he took his inheritance early, went and squandered it, ended up with the pigs, was like, what? What am I doing? You know, he remembers because as a child, he was under probably the watch of some of the slaves or, or whatever you want to call them, of, of the master of his father. Um, he remembered, I'm sure, and was like, you know what? Even those, even those guys that are under my dad have it better than I've got it. 
I'm going to go back and, and just ask to be one of the servants. And, uh, and he goes back and, you know, you know, the rest of the story, the dad meets him before he ever gets to the house. And the dad's like, no, 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 you're not coming to be a servant. I'm, I'm bringing you back in as my son, you know, and just that, that, that beautiful picture, I think that is said in different ways here, but it's the, the same essence. I think that's beautiful in, in regards to how you bring, how he brings that son in back in again. And then you think of the brother the brother who's jealous and angry. So like I look at the brothers like Judaizers, you know, they're like, all right, God's bringing in these Gentiles, but yeah. these Gentiles didn't do the law like we did. They weren't, yeah. they weren't circumcised like we are. They're not following the ceremony like we are. And it's just like, you look at that picture and it's just full adoption. Well, no matter who you are. yeah, that brother, that brother I'm sure was like, no, 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 make him a servant. Yeah. yeah. No, he, I do all these awesome things. I never yeah. left. Like what? Every time I've read or heard the story of the prodigal son, I've always been on the side of the older brother. Yeah. I'm like, because like, I'm such a justice minded person and I'm just like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, yeah. Welcome him back. But yeah, he goes to the back of the line now. And so I always have to kind of check myself because I, I guess, you know, when I was very early in my Christian walk, I thought that was the point of the story was that the older brother got screwed in this deal, right? You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, I didn't see any of the rest of it. Like I didn't see any of the rest of the stuff that you're supposed to see about that story. But it's funny how, how this first part of this, or even the story of the prodigal son just hits different when you become a father of a son. Mm. Okay. So this literally happened to me last night. So one of my favorite, I, I really love Westerns. I don't like as many of the older Westerns. I like a lot of modern Westerns, but uh, Christian Bale did a Western years ago called hostels. It is an especially brutal movie. Uh, it's got some things that are very, very uncomfortable. If you have a wife that is at, at all, not into like, you know, anyway, it's, it's, it's a very brutal opening scene if you have kids and like them. And so, um, I will say that that scene always felt brutal to me but I never became upset until I became a father. Yeah. And then it was a different level of emotion. It was a different level of anger. Uh, all those things were just different. And I think it kind of goes back whenever I read this beginning part, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm putting a little bit too much poetry into this first part of Galatians 4, but Jesus or, or God removes uh, your identity as a slave from you, but he, he, he leaves you with your memory of what it was like to be a slave. and so. Because you're no longer a slave to sin, right? As we've all sang and, and, and enjoyed Thank that. You, yeah, yeah, there you go. Hey, not all, not all of it's bad. But <laughs> so we, we understand that, but we don't lose our recollection of what it was like to not be that. And I think the important thing about why that is, is because we, we need to remember what it was like to be depraved because that is a reminder of how sweet the gospel is. Because if you just lose all memory of all the depravity that you had, it's a weird thing to kind of build your faith on in the future because it's like you have nothing to compare the good now to the bad that was before, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's just part of our testimony. I think that's also why Paul talks about how you know, what he did before he became a, a Christian, basically, was all, all the bad things he did in persecuting Christians. It's like, yeah, God pulled me from that. Um, I think... Like looking at the prodigal son, like even even the older son who was mad, like he wasn't in the dad's house because he did anything. He was there because the dad gave him permission to be there. Like That's you're true. my son because you're my son. There's nothing you can do rightly to keep that, but there's also nothing you can do in the negative side to lose that. And I think I think 
I, I remember the first time I thought about it that way, of like, man, the, the, the older son is missing the whole point here of like, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. You're only there because the dad says you can be there. Dad says you're, you're a part of my family. You're in my house and you're going to stay in my house. Whether you are partying up with friends because you squandered your inheritance away or you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, getting up every day, helping your dad run his, run his house. When didn't you mention Alistair Begg on a, on a previous mm-hmm. uh, week of this? And so yeah. it's like, that's that his one thing where it's like, Hey, you know, you're at the pearly gates. Why should we let you in? If anything, if you start your sentence with, because, because I, I, you've ruined yeah, it. It's yeah. like, no, no, because he, the yeah. man on the middle cross yeah. said I could come. And it's that exact thing. It's like the, the older brother, the brother in that story, he's like, but wait I, a minute. Right. Well, look at the stuff I, I've yeah. done. Look at all the righteousness I have shown. And the father's showing in, in a way it's like, no, th- neither one of you are righteous. Yeah. His blunders were a lot louder and a lot more embarrassing to the family name. But guess what? He's still my son, yeah. which it sucks when you're still focused on the justice and you're like, oh, screw that yeah. kid. But it's like, no, like that's the power of the gospel. Yeah. No, but but I, that's a, that's a, I feel like that's a pretty big problem though in our culture is it's performance based, you know, acceptance. Like I, I, we had this conversation even yesterday because um, my son, he studied solo for science tests. We, we were like, you need some help. We can quiz you. He really wanted to do it on his own. Uh, which, which son, how old? I'm 13. Okay. My oldest. Yeah. Yep. And, um, Anyways, got got his test back. I think he scored an eighty, and um, which is fine. It's fine, but there is that margin. You're like, well, yeah, you know. And we and so we had this conversation about like uh, performance, and we we have certain minimum standards. Like you've got to keep your grades above whatever, but um, or else you know. So we do have some minimum performance standards, but really, what I told him, I reiterated because he was kind of upset um, that we weren't like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know. Um, we weren't upset either. It's just like, look, all, all that really matters is that you just give your all. You just give your all, and that that's it. I mean, if you give a hundred percent, and that's as good as you knew, that's fine. It's it's okay. Uh, we're not expecting you uh, to to get at ninety, hundred, or whatever. We're not going to love you any less, or and or, or any even more, you know, anymore. Uh, if you do get a ninety or a hundred, and it, and I remind, I'm reminded of a um uh, of another story, and I'll, I'll be quick, of a dad on the sideline at a soccer game, his little girl's playing, she's like eight years old, and um, he's like, standing out there you know, yelling and cheering her on, this parent next to him, is like, come on, Sally, you know, score that goal, and we'll get ice cream after the, the game. And he kind of pauses, and he's like, you know, hey, hey, Emery, sc- score that goal, but if you don't, guess what? We're still going to get ice cream. Why is that? Because you love me, Daddy. You know, uh, so it's not performance based. Um, anyways, no, I, I think mean, it's, I think that's super important. Like, there's a difference between our identity and our role. Like, we have lots of roles. I have a role as a, as a dad, as a role as a husband, a role as a as an employee, um, a role as a congregant. But like, my identity is always in Christ. And if if my role is my identity, and I, I'm only I'm only finding satisfaction in scoring that soccer goal but I'm not grounded in my identity as a Christian. Like, man, I'm, I'm going I'm to go off the rails real quick. And I might screw up in my role at work, but man, still a son of God yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. And well, that's you, where my identity should be. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, embarrassment there. Um, I think there are a lot of things that can, can embarrass our family too. Um, and we can, you know, we take that personally and then, you know, project that on our, on our kids uh, when they do something that then we're like, oh my goodness, you know, you know what everybody's going to think about us now, you know, because you did that thing. Well, I mean, we shift really quick off of 
grace-based parenting to mm. performance-based parenting because we now feel, um, we feel embarrassed and we, we realize that our identity is tied up in our kiddo and how he is perceived by the world rather than our Christian identity. Well, as, yeah, yeah as, we're all, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go. We're all, we are all kind of geared towards like, what do other people think? But that's a really hard thing to, to get over. Like, yeah, my son's, you know, he's struggling with lying, but like, I'm not going to say, you know, he's struggling with suicidal thoughts or what, like we pick and choose what we, my son is not, don't, I don't, I'm just yeah. using it as an example. He's seven, but like we pick and choose what we tell the world too. Cause it's like, man, if I say that, it's kind of embarrassing. I don't want people to know that about me or my family. So we even pick and choose what we, what we put out there. Because we are so driven by that. So I think that, that, that really leads to an important discussion, which you know, it still ap- applies to Galatians 4, but performance and standards. So defining yourself on your performance, but actually having standards. Because there are families and there are parents that think that having standards at all is wrong for the child as well. Because like having minimum standards, because, you know, how are these standards going to be equal? Because one kid might be more intellectually inclined than the other. One might be more artistically inclined, athletically inclined, whatever. So what do you have a sliding scale of standards based on how good or bad your kid is at this or that thing? But also uh, there are standards. Yes, you are saved by the grace of, uh, by having the, the grace of, of God, by having faith in Christ. But there are standards of a Christian life that, that you would hold. Some would call them rules. Some would call them, you know, whatever. Why are you giggling? Oh, Why are you giggling? Because we're, we're about, it seems like we're about to get into a conversation about cheap grace. Like, what cheap is grace. cheap grace? Like, grace, like salvation is not just a get out of jail free card, something that makes me feel good. Like, that's, uh, Bonhoeffer called that cheap right. grace. Like, if I just go to the altar and say, Yes, I'm giving my life to Christ, but there's no change and I don't I don't go I just go, all right, cool. I don't have to go to hell now. I can do whatever I want mm-hmm. because I said I believe in Jesus Christ. Like that is cheapening your salvation. Well, I guess that goes and, back to the uh, prodigal son thing. Yeah. To where it's like, did he cheapen the family name? By letting the son they, like cause it's seemingly the house had standards. One son, you know, met and or exceeded the standards, the other one significantly fell short of the standards and so the performance of one was great and the performance of the other was bad but they both end up with the same thing which is sonship does that make sense yeah but you have to look at the one who stumbled had humility yeah he humbled himself he didn't say i'm going to go back to daddy and daddy's going to take care of me i'm not entitled yeah he went back and said i'll be a slave to my father yeah you know what i'm saying and so entitlement that's a good word eric yeah absolutely and so i i did the same. I cheapened grace. You know, mm-hmm. I was going to a church and it was all about grace. And next thing you know, we have these groups and I'm throwing parties and doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. And I was like, my whole excuse was, I have grace. God knows this is who I am. This is me. Yeah. God I- loves me for me. And his grace is for me. And this is just, you know, this is just what I do. The whole God loves me just the way I am is. Yeah a really, really dangerous theology to have. And I've been there and I, oh, and I, I knew, I knew, a, I knew a youth pastor who, who would cuss in front of kids. And if he was ever called out, he'd say, Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, just like you. And it's like, ugh, that's very yeah. cringy. Cause it's like, man, you should be holding yourself to a higher standard and above be above reproach. Absolutely. But like, if you're just going to use, use the grace card as, well, I can do whatever I want because God loves me just the way that I am. You are not going to find that in scripture. You're not going to no. find God ever leaving someone where they are. He finds you where you are, but then he tells you to leave. What you lack there, <laughs> what you lack now is sanctification. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no conviction in your walk. And so the, if there's no conviction, 
there's no sanctification. Yeah. And I think it's an important thing to think about what, what you're saying as well, Matt, is a lot of people will build their entire theology off of, here are all the things that I want to do. Here are the things that fit into a Judeo-Christian ethic. Here are the things that don't fit into a Judeo-Christian ethic. But I've got this gigantic blanket I'm going to put over everything. It's my little force field. That force field is grace. It's my get-out-of-hell-free card. It's my whatever. And they're, they're not worried about sanctification. They're not worried about molding themselves into what Christ would want for them. They're worried about molding the gospel around the cracks that they've allowed into their life. And so that's the thing that, that you struggle with. And it goes back to uh, Galatians 2, where Paul rebuked Peter to his face imagine having a guy like that, that youth pastor that would cuss in front of the kids and not rebuking that person. Now the guy didn't show any humility clearly to, to kind of deal with that. But I mean, imagine not saying anything. Cause you're like, Oh, that's just who he is. God made him that way. Yeah. But you're exactly right. One of the most nefarious things in our modern narcissistic culture is that Jesus, if he is good, he will love me for everything that I am. But that I am statements they make are, I am gay. I am non-binary. I am a uh, sexual sinner. I am a cusser. I am a cheater. I am a whatever those things Gossiper, are. Anything, yeah. anything. I am just, I saw somebody post on Twitter. I am a gossiper. That's just the way God made me. She was being sarcastic, but like if you carry the logic out to its conclusion, like you're, that's where you get to you get to like, I'm a liar. So didn't, uh, who cares? didn't Vody do that <laughs> recently where he had a Vody Bauckham had a, he was preaching. He was like, I'm an adulterer. You know, and he's like, basically the church is being like, all right, that's okay that you're an adulterer. You know, you still have grace and stuff like that, you know, and he was kind of showing the foolishness of how grace has been bastardized. Can I say yep. that word? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> I been, said, sure. Like I run yeah. the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Do you want to switch Matt. seats? You can, yeah. you can sit in my chair if you want. Captain's no, but, chair. but grace has been bastardized by modern Christianity. You know, it's now it's, 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 it's like the. There's a movie I watched called Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. And this whole thing is about team of me. And it's no longer being on God's team. It's God's now on the team of me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, we're like losing our focus. Our focus is this postmodernism is bringing such a self-absorbed version of Christianity out here that it's just, it's, it's Abraham you know, Lincoln's it's, fault. Well, it's, it's, when imagine carrying that same attitude yeah. back to how you deal with your kids. Imagine teaching your kids the theology or the philosophy of you are fine the way you are. Because then if, if you take that out and you extrapolate that out, let's go back to your 13-year-old in the, in the science test or something like that. If they are fine the way they are, they shouldn't study at all. Like, because their current level of knowledge is enough. They are enough. And I thought Alisa Childers did a great job in her, her latest book where uh, she basically talked about, you know, all these people, it's like, hey, I'm living my truth and that's all that it is. And like, they're talking about and they hear these sermons where it's like, you are enough, slay queen and all that. But like, they would never say that to a 13 year old. Yeah, that's, a, that's a term from the Bible, right? You know, slay, slay, slay queen. queen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's first douchebag three, four. Um, no, but like, but that, imagine, imagine doing that. Like we would never think to do that with a child, right. like a two-year-old that is currently not potty trained. You're never going to try to teach that kid, hey, you're fine the way you are. You don't need to develop past yeah. that. But we treat our own personal theology, our own personal walk with Christ in that same way well, because we're just like, oh, you know, we, we were stuck in sin and now now we're saved. So it's just whatever. Well, we even see that in the church, and I, I hope this doesn't ruffle any feathers. I'm sh- I, I'm I hope it does. I, I feel like we haven't, made, we haven't made anybody mad this show it, so far. It might, but like, look at look at church-run addiction programs. We look at addiction, which is a sin, 
we look at it like, well, that's just the way you are. And it like, these are church run programs telling people, okay, you have a problem with alcohol, but that's just how you are. That's not what Jesus ever tells us to do. Jesus doesn't say you're a drunk. It's okay. It's just who you are. Here's a 12 step program. He says, don't be a drunk anymore because that's not who I called you to be. I called you to be my son. I called you to be an heir to my eternal kingdom. You are no longer a sinner. And how, how awful is it to tell somebody who comes into a church broken, looking for salvation, and you tell them, it's okay. It's okay that you're a drunk. And, I, like, and this is a new thing for me to come to, come to grips with, because it's like, that's not biblical at all. It's not. It's not biblical at all. And, I'm, and I, there are some really great addiction programs out there, but we are, doing, we are doing people with addiction a disservice by telling them it's okay. So, yeah, that, that goes back to when Adam Comer from S2L came on our show a while ago, because that was around the same time. I, I think I heard Jeff Durbin from Apologia yes. basically talking he's about the that. First, he's the first person that put that in my head. I was listening right. to him talk. I was like, oh my gosh, this makes sense. Yeah, it's like if your identity is found in Christ, then you don't start out a meeting with, hi, I'm Kyle, yeah. I'm an alcoholic. Absolutely. And so, like, that's one thing that S2L and some of these other actually faith-based recovery programs will do. It's, it's like, hi, I'm John. I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. Like, and I'm no longer slave to sin. You know, it gets right back into the beginning of Galatians 4. That is a mind shift because, dude, there are a lot of Christians that would completely disagree with us on that. And like, but they've never heard it that way because it's like, look, how would you develop a, a program for somebody that, that you're basing on the blood of the lamb covering them, but then just acknowledging, hey, you're going to be this forever, no matter what. Now, it's not counter to what I said earlier, to where it's like, hey, we, we're no longer slaves of sin, but we remember our slavery. But again, the whole thing is we are no longer slaves. We do not identify as slaves any longer. We identify yeah. as sons with the Father, because that's yeah. the our, the right that he gave us. Our identity is not wrapped, wrapped up in being an addict. Right. Well, you're, you're going to be a slave, period. Sure. But instead of a slave of sin, you want to be a slave of righteousness. You know, so you're always going to be a slave. Coming from, uh, you know, I got family members that deal with addiction. I've been to the Al-Anon meetings, and trying to understand them and figure them out. I think that was the most frustrating part where it's like, you know, you can't control their disease. Like, is it really a disease? It's a disease, yeah. You know, like, is it really a disease? Or is it really he just doesn't know how to handle life and decides to go to something else rather than Christ? But then you also deal with, if you go to an actual Al-Anon meeting, it's always your God. There's, which is yep. something yep. like we're hearing it in the Christian circles yep. a lot lately. What was I listening to? Uh, one of those Christian stations. I won't plug them again, but uh, they had a, because I really don't listen to them that much. Um, but they had uh, somebody who was, uh, you know, one of the singer songwriters on there. And she said something. She goes, well, my Jesus. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm like, your Jesus, you know, like, be careful with that. Yeah. I was like, there's only one Jesus, you know? And then, during this Al-Anon meeting, they're all like, you know, well, you got to find your higher power, your God. And I was like, there's only one God, you know, like, how are these guys going to figure out and die to themselves, you know, and die to Christ if they can pick out whichever God well, they want to the, make a God And these of? are, these are run by churches where churches don't, there's not a vetting process. Well, they like died how, to like, culture. How, like, just go, yeah, great. Because the argument is, well, how many people have you brought out of addiction? Do you realize how many people that that, that program has pulled out of addiction? Yeah. And, and, and our response should be, yeah, but they're sending them straight to hell. 
And many- that and that is what really matters. Does their salvation matter, or does it just matter that they put the bottle down for two weeks? How, how many people did Joel Osteen bring to an altar call? <laughs> we going there. We're going well, there that quick. That's no, what I would no, say back to no, that person. Never, you know never, what I'm saying? Never, like, heard, yeah. never heard of no, it. That's, that, <laughs> never heard what's of funny it. about that is when you talk about the disease model, it's like, okay, is this a disease or is this a sin compulsion? Mm. Because I remember uh, around the time that when all the stuff came out about Tiger Woods and all the you know sexual picadillies he was having and all that kind of stuff, it was like, oh, he went to sex rehab. Okay, I was like, and if everyone's being honest, no one knew that was a rehab nope. before. And know. if everybody could pick an addiction, they'd be like, I'd love to have sex addiction. <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, just because, you know, I could ask for forgiveness, but then I had all the fun. Yeah. Um, but like, that's the thing that people, when we treat things as a disease model, it's like, wait a minute, there's a sin problem. I remember that. I can't remember the name of the book. Uh, this was probably 10 years ago, but it was a book about, you know, people that had mental disorders. And this book was basically claiming that every mental disorder is a demon and how we can exercise authority over these demons and things like that. We're talking about every single uh, mental disorder that, oh, wow. that you could potentially have. And so if we extrapolate out exactly what we're talking about right now is alcoholism, not a disease, but Hey, you know, bipolar is a disease. You see how far this can kind of get yeah, extrapolated that's out. That's a really dangerous place to be because like you, I don't, I don't think that depression is an, is a demon, you know, and I think God gave us, God gave us tools that are not necessarily like laid out in scripture to help people with you know, mental disorders. And I don't want people to hear what we're talking about and think like, oh, okay, well I can just pray hard enough or ask God and I'll be good. Like you, if you have, if you are, if you have an alcohol addiction, you should seek help for that. If you have a sex addiction, you should seek help for that. There's, there's not a, the, the old, pray the gay away. Like that's not how it works. Mm. Like you have to go to war with your sin. You have to, you have to be willing to get in the fight, put on the armor of God, like you were talking about Eric, but like you, you can't just say, all right, cool. I picked up my Bible. So I'm not an alcoholic anymore. My like, leg's broken. Out. Yeah. But nope. I'm not going to go to the doctor. But, on, but on the flip side, no one would say somebody say to somebody who has a problem with lying. It's okay. Like just, it's fine. No, you would say, stop lying. You don't tell your seven-year-old who lies about everything. It's okay, son. That's just how you... No, in this family, we don't lie. We tell the truth because that's what we do. That's the right thing to do. We don't gossip because that's not what... We, we, don't, we don't get drunk. We don't have an addiction to alcohol because we are not called to do that. We must go to war and put our sin to death. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And I think, I think a lot of the things that we're talking about, and this goes back to what you were talking about with your son, what we've all talked about in terms of how we look at scripture, it comes back to a discussion about truth. So when someone talks about my Jesus or my God or my truth, it really does come back to what is truth and is there such a thing? Because I think people are conflating, especially in our modern moment, lived experience with their truth. So we might have a different lived experience if we were on either side of a uh, car accident but it doesn't change the truth of the situation. It doesn't change the truth of how fast the cars were going and in what direction, whose fault it is mainly, you know, even outside of the insurance context or something like that. But that's where it gets into here in Galatians 4 as well. I want to specifically talk about verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? 
Okay, so starting in verse eight, Paul is, you know, he's talking about his concern for the Galatians, um, basically laying these all all out like, hey, almost like, hey, here's why I'm talking to you the way that I'm talking to you. Here's why this is so important. And almost as like a throwaway line, it's have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth. And so implicit in that, and again, I know it's dangerous to imply anything to the Bible, but just just follow me here. Be careful. Uh, I will be careful as, as careful as I can be implicit in that statement is that his truth telling is ruffling some feathers mm-hmm. in that moment. Now, obviously my brand in the way that I act in this world is I, I try to be a true teller. Uh, sometimes that, you know, if you want to see what people think about that, go to my one star reviews. People are like, ah, oh, he seems so sure of himself. It's like, how bored would you be if you listened to somebody's show and they had no fully formed opinion on any single subject matter on the planet? Like, that's not what you want to listen to. You want to listen to somebody that has a fully formed opinion and is willing to defend it. But <clears throat> there are so many problems in our modern day. Whenever you tell someone the truth, about something that they're doing, a sin that they're committing, uh, a thing that they're doing that is hurting themselves or their families. And then it's, oh, well, you're just judging me. Well, that's maybe your truth. That's not necessarily my truth. And I think that this is very interesting that even Paul is talking about that here in his letter to the Galatians, to where it's just basically like, hey, does the truth hurt? Is the truth hurting your feelings? Because again, it comes, you know, when Ben Shapiro was like, hey, facts don't care about your feelings. Like that doesn't mean feelings aren't important. It means when it comes to truth or false, feelings don't come into play because how you feel about the truth doesn't make it any more or any less true. So I wanted to kind of get y'all to chat on that a little bit. I think when you look at it is we should always tell the truth. And one thing that I've learned in my life is telling the truth. Like, Cause sometimes you have learned that or you're working on it. <laughs> oh, I'm working on it. Okay. There it is. All right. But you can keep going. I'm working on it. I'm working on my face. I supposedly have to change that when I tell the truth. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, when you look at it, it's like, we should always be there with the truth, but we should always think about somebody's feelings, you know, like, Hey, we know this is going to hit them pretty hard. Like if I see my brother in sin, if I go out and be like, dude, you're a sinner. I don't do this stuff. You know, you need to do that like this. Well, how's he going to take that? You know, but if you come at him with love and say, hey, man, I've noticed this. Like, you know, it's, it's hurting your family. It's hurting me as your friend. Like I, it's something I want to help you with. You know, um, I think it's just how we go about it. And I think, you know, that's what Paul's kind of kind of showed with Peter, you know, is he went after Peter. But, you know, it was, it's a pretty quick thing but i don't think it was like straight up like yo peter and like yelling at him across the table i think it was dude i want to call you out on this talk about it you need to discuss it and then that person's usually going to either accept it or they're not going to accept it and then you hope that you know god opens their eyes to their yeah soul. it's funny because like paul's literally talking about like I, I would testify that you would gouge out your own eyes for me so clearly clearly there was a love yeah. for paul right and so then how quickly he's already he's anticipating like, and not too long ago, y'all would have done anything for me. And now that I'm telling you this truthful thing, because this, like, I care about your salvation. Now I'm an enemy. How quickly does that change? And that's, that's interesting. Even, you know, 2000 years ago, it, it, it seems like it's, it seems like it's like so quick now, but it was even, that's, that's not a new thing. It was even quick back then. And how, how quickly that can just turn on a dime there's a, just a w- weird example just from my day-to-day operations as a physical therapist i get people that come in uh, with low back pain and it may be chronic they'd be like yeah, i've had this pain for like three years and um you know so one of the basic things i do is i'll okay well all right, sh- show me how you squat you know so they'll squat they do you know most people 
not everybody, but a lot of these people with low back pain, especially when it's chronic, have something called a butt wink. You know what a butt wink is? Yep. So a butt wink is when you get low enough, your glutes get tight enough that they pull your lumbar spine, which is the lowest part of your back, out of a neutral position. So now if you get someone, you know, it's industrial based or whatever, and he's doing a bunch of lifting every day, and every time he bends over, he gets a butt wink, and he's put, taking his neutral, his neutral spine out of a neutral uh, position and then putting it on stress. It, the funny thing about that is he, I guarantee you, does not stand in front of a mirror or have mirrors at work where he can see himself squat. So he has no idea what is going on. All he knows is that three years ago, he went to go pick up a pencil off the ground and his back went out. He was like, it was literally a pencil, you know, and it, where really what it was is all the years prior to that, of him doing it wrong and then finally it built up and then his back's like, can't handle it. Pencil. Yep, you're done. Um, and so a lot of what I do is I reveal the truth of what's going on. And it's a silly example, but just it is it's, it's works works in as well. I mean, I reveal to them what they're doing wrong. And then I tell them, you know, it took you a long time to get into this position you're in right now. It's going to take you a minute to get out. It's going to be hard work. And uh, what's, it's really interesting to see some people, they're like, let's do it. I'm in. And other people are like, oh, man, I have to do exercise and, yeah. you know, whatever. So, I mean. Isn't that a good, ana- that's a good analogy for sin? You know, like, like the old, the old song, it's a slow fade, you know, like you don't, you don't, you don't start out, you know, looking at hardcore porn, you know, it's a picture here. It's a quick clip there. It's a magazine that you find and then you spiral and you, you slide down this slope. But like, that's a really good analogy. Like you, you do it to yourself. But then you end up and you're like, how did I get here? It's like, well, look back, yeah. <laughs> look back at the last five yeah. years. That's a pretty clear indicator right. of how you got here. And I think, but that, if oh, uh, I was, was going to, I was going to put that back. Like the law is there to help us see a reflection of if we're looking at the law and we're paying attention to the law, we can say, oh, shouldn't be doing that. It's a reflection of God. Is it's what a, the law is. Yeah. And it, and, it, and, it, and it helps us understand, okay, if I am concentrating on God's law, and I'm trying, and I'm looking at that, like right is right and wrong is wrong in God's eyes, and I'm looking at that daily, then there's less chance for me to go down that five-year slippery slope because I'm constantly looking in the mirror at this reflection of what God says is right and wrong. I think that also talks about, do you have people that are in your life that are willing to be a Paul to your Peter? And also, um, are people telling you the truth along the way? So this is always kind of a funny story, but it's also sad in the same way. Uh, back when American Idol, you know, when it was Simon Cowell and oh. Paul Abdul and, you know, the rest of the whole thing, it was, it was always the first two or three weeks of that show where, you know, every now and then you'd have your Ruben Studdard or your Carrie Underwood or your Kelly Clarkson. But then most of the reason why people watch those first couple of weeks is because of these absolute train wrecks of humanity where these people thought they could sing. They went up in front of them and then Simon would say something really, really rude and mean and Paula would be offended. And like, but the, the reality was, is that person genuinely showed up that day for that audition thinking they could sing. And the producers of that show saw an opportunity to embarrass somebody that clearly couldn't sing put them in front of the judges so that they could get, you know, this, this, you know, viral moment before there was like social media viral moments or something like that. So it's funny. We all got to laugh. Simon said funny things and all that, but the sadness I felt for these people that no one in their life told them at any point along the way, bro, 
You can't sing. I love you so much. You're good at so many things. One of these days I'll discover what one of those things is. But one of the things is definitely not singing. (laughs) But imagine withholding the truth from somebody because you didn't want to hurt their feelings. Mm -hmm. And yet all you've done is you've delayed and increase the size of the embarrassment that they're going to feel someday. But that's, that's American Idol. That's someone not being able to outrun, you know, this embarrassing moment on television. Imagine if you're ignoring somebody's sin debt, if you're not pointing them, or even as a Christian, a Christian that is doing something that is outside of what God would have for them in their life, and then not pointing that out at all. Well, but the, the other part of the American Idol, which, which, which can bleed into this too, is in a lot of those cases, they had people telling them that they were good. Yes. It wasn't just people that were saying worse. that were, weren't they telling them they were bad. They were saying like, you're good, you're good, you should, mm. you should pursue this. And I think that's the other scary part about sin and telling people truth is sometimes we don't tell them the truth or the church doesn't tell people the truth, but sometimes they go a step further and they, they, learn it. they enable it and they say, you're good. And oh, like flat, the, It's called flattery. Yeah. And yeah. like, that's another, that's, that's the next step of like, I think, I think we're at, at that place in our culture now is where churches are not only shying away from bringing biblical truth, they're like eating it up and telling people that it's good. And, and that is a scary place to be. Well, it kind of goes back to something I talked about on one of these previous weeks where it's like, anytime they really release data about what Christians in America actually believe it is astonishing. The things that Christians have convinced themselves are okay. And I wonder if it's, if it's more about the appeasement culture that we have now that we don't like ruffling anybody's feathers unless they're, you know, a conservative white uh, male Christian. And we love ruffling those feathers. But like, we, we, we want to just affirm everybody. Like, we don't want to challenge anyone's identity. And we're in this affirmation. And, and Eric, you and I have talked about this because, you know, you and I have talked about how you're helping your kids traverse public school because it's like some of the conversations that you're having to have with them based on what might be discussed in the classroom or what they might see on TikTok or what one of their knucklehead friends thinks. It becomes a really, really rough thing because we are in an affirmation culture. You are good the way that you are. You were born this way. You're okay. So Lady Gaga gave an entire generation of gay people, you know, basically the ace of spades to say that, no, 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 I was born this way. And if God is a God of love, then he will love me for this. And we will bastardize what the love of God actually is to fit our preconceived notion about what we want love to be for us. Yeah. And I, and just to reiterate that uh, a lot of those conversations need to be very up forthcoming and a lot earlier than you think. You know, oh, I mean, for sure. The first exposure to porn for any kid, boys especially, is going to be around eight years old. Yeah, that's Eight, scary. eight and a half. I mean, very so if scary. you're not fronting that uh, early then you run the risk of kind of be on the backside of that. And if you're not willing to have a sex ed co- conversation with your, with your boys uh, or your girls, uh, Netflix is happy to do it for you. Yeah. You know, certainly. Well, and we're, Disney, we're, we're in the throes of that too. Like we pulled our oldest kid out of public school because there were some things happening that we, we felt like we were just at such a disadvantage to the school that we thought, you know what? He is our, he is not a missionary. He is our mission at this point in his life. And they're like, I think there's some categories that we got to put on there. And so like, I, that's not the right decision for everybody. But like for us, we're like, hey, you know what? You are a mission right now. You are, because we got a lot of flack for that. Don't you, you're Christians. Don't you want your kids to minister? Not, not right now. Not at six. So, yeah. it's so, so I'm so glad you brought that up because I forget, it may have been Vody. He talked about this recently, but it was like, yeah, I think it was Vody. Everywhere you see in the scriptures where missionaries were sent out, they were equipped 
and then they were sent. Yep. yep. And so what Christian parents that, you know, a lot of them that have their, so these people that, you know, were giving you crap for taking your kids out. It's like, wait a minute, I am not equipping. I, they are not equipped to go into that mission field yet. They're still in the process of being equipped. What you're doing is you're allowing them to be catechized by a secular entity or by the, the knuckleheads around them that don't have a Judeo Christian ethic and how that's like, no, we have this completely different set of views because then people are like, Oh, are you just going to take your kids completely out of all parts of culture? It's like, no, but like, my job is not to risk them being catechized by the public school system. There's a town and a place. Buddy Bauckham also says, don't send your, don't send your kids to a Roman schools and be surprised when they come back Roman citizens. Well, I always yeah. heard it. Don't send your kids to Caesar. That's, that's expect that, them yeah. to come back yeah. Romans. Yeah. Which is, uh, we're in the throes of that right now at home. So we're trying to get our kids into private school. They're in public school. And then if we can't get them into the private school, they're going to be homeschooled. Um, and what's funny is, is if you look at the uh, national statistics in the last 10 years, I think they had like 500,000 kids being homeschooled. It's now 5 million. Like, it's just, and I come from a family of public school teachers. My wife was a public school teacher. Her mom was a public school teacher. Her grandparents were public school teachers. And they're even on the boat of like, oh, you need to pull them out. You need to homeschool them because they're young. You need to mold those minds. We need to strengthen them against this world because this world is happy to mold our children's minds, you know, yeah. and I want my kid to know about the culture and know about other things that are going on in the culture. And I want him to have a loving aspect towards that person because of the Imago yeah. Day. Mm. But he also needs to know what's right and what's wrong. Well, Eric, yeah. go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. no, I was gonna, just going to say, you know, we don't learn how to um, have conversations with other people by learning what they believe per se. Um, we learn what truth is. I was just thinking like a dollar bill. I mean, when, if a guy's, if a guy's being trained to, to, to recognize counterfeit money, they don't put a bunch of counterfeit money in front of them and tell them to memorize it. They give him a dollar bill and they have him memorize that oh, so nice. that whenever he sees a counterfeit, he's like, clearly that is not the dollar bill. You are so that's ingrained awesome. with the original, the authentic thing that you can spot a fake. <clears throat> Ever, whenever yeah. like you don't even have to look at it yeah it just doesn't doesn't feel right doesn't look right the coloring's off everything well so that's that, also that, walter martin is he did a he, he he used to do a big sermon on that he talked oh. about counterfeit money like yeah. you you just you all you do is feel feel real money all day long and then the first counterfeit you get it's like it's fake so so with that in mind obviously i've said on the show a bunch i think there are only two options for schooling for our kids uh vetted private christian school and homeschool and you and i've had this conversation so to anyone thinking i'm putting them on on the spot we've had this conversation before i just wanted to kind of bring it out there you and your family have decided that the, the kids are in public school and are going to stay in public school now i remember one thing that you said to me is you said now kyle that's going to mean i have to have a whole lot more conversations with my kids than maybe what somebody at a christian school is now there's the other side of that coin where people spend x amount of dollars per year to send their kid to a private Christian school and then they just turn their brains off and they just think, oh, okay, we're going to let the school catechize them. It's like, no, 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 that is a supplement to how they should be being catechized while they're at home. Family Shepherds mm-hmm. by Vody Bauckham, like that type of a style. But for you, talk to me a little bit about that. So going back to verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? A lot of kids are being taught in this postmodern context of truth is relative. Uh, we're in certain public schools are telling you that math is racist. Being on time is racist. These are all things that are part of the uh, 
white patriarchy that is trying to hold a particular group or a particular class of citizens down. And that's not just happening in Portland. That's not just happening in Chicago or New York City or DC or something like that. That's happening in Edmond, Oklahoma. That is happening all over the place. So so for you as a dad that's trying to catechize your kids that are of different age groups and different genders, uh, they're only two, by the way. So he's got boys <laughs> and girls. I didn't, he doesn't have a spectrum of kids. He has one or the other. Uh, but like, how do you deal with that? Because I know truth is very, very important to you. The cate- catechizing of your kids and, and basically marinating them in the truth is important but how are you able to pull that off yeah well uh i mean i have a i have a plan some of it is actually written down you know and so um i I, one of the things that i was blessed with when i was well i was about 23 i started meeting with a gentleman from the navigators um which is a ministry international ministry and he just poured his life into me it really honestly was the first time that i had someone spiritually guide me um, and he taught me the real basics on how to um, remain disciplined in my walk. You know, how did, I didn't really know how to pray. I'm, I could pray, but I didn't know how to pray uh, effectively. Um, I didn't really know how to read my Bible. I didn't know how to apply my Bible to my life. So I, I received a lot of that. Um, and so one of the things I knew that I wanted to do was to do better than my dad did. And I love my dad. My dad have great have a great relationship. But that time of his life and my life, he was not a very good spiritual leader. In fact, not, not really at all. He got us to church, got me to camp, uh, Christian camp. And that was, those are two really, really great things that he did. But he was just not a very good disciple maker. And so I just felt like, man, it is, and I know you guys agree, it is important for us to disciple our kids. And so part of what I'm doing is I'm countering that flood, those floodwaters with some very consistent discipleship in my home. Uh, we have a lot of just open conversations about different things based on age, a lot of earlier conversations, repeated conversations, the things that I see happening. And, and you guys will, I mean, you'll have to restrict, you know, access to phones, access to apps. I mean, cause the, it is coming from everywhere, not just school. Um, is uh, the, one of the things I'm very thankful for is I see my oldest son specifically, and now some, my middle child who's nine starting to identify these things that are coming across, like say, YouTube or regular TV or an app or something like that. And they're pushing back against it. They're, they're just kind of, they're dismissing it. They're, they're recognizing it's not right. And, um, and I can appreciate that, but it is hard work and, um, and we're willing to, to put in the effort. It, heck, if it, it got to a point that, you know, this is too much, then yes, we would then make a switch. It wouldn't, would do that in a heartbeat, but, but you're right. You can't expect your youth pastor to disciple your kids, your church, to do it, certainly not your school. Um, you've got to do it. And so it's I'm praying that just the consistency day in and day out. Uh, yeah, it's a lazy cop-out. You got, you got 18 years and 66 books. It's up to you. Like, so you're not, you're, you're, your schools and your churches, aren't, they're not doing it. Nope. No, well, so that's, it should be a supplement for sure. So as a, as a follow-up to that, and this is kind of open for everybody because, you know, obviously for, for my wife and I, we've looked at, private school and we did a, a tour of one here recently and one of the things that the headmaster said is he's like look if your kid is here from preschool all the way through their senior year of high school they're going to spend 15,000 hours with us minimum and so that's like you know if they're not doing a bunch of extra sports and a bunch of extra extracurriculars it's like it's 15,000 hours now I didn't do the math I'm just going to take him out his word that he's done the math before and let's just say that it's in in that vein I think a lot of parents they overestimate the amount of time they have with their children Mm. because they forget about how long they are going to be at school being marinated in whatever it is the teachers want to teach them, whether private, public or, you know, whatever. 
And that's where these parents, so I guess uh, is like, how do you deal with the time? Because no matter what, you're at a deficit of time because, you know, by the time that you leave for work, like, you know, they're, you leave for work before they're gone for school and those types of things. And then by the time you get home, like how much time do you really get with them before they need to be doing homework or they're home from practice and you got to get them fed and clean and put them in bed and those types of things. And you don't have enough time on the weekends to make up for all the lost time during the week. And so every single week that passes by, you're at even more of a deficit, more of a deficit, more of a deficit where they're spending the overwhelming majority of their time, quantity of time, with the school, how do you counteract that to make the quality of time with mom and dad purposeful and meaningful? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I probably don't, I don't think of it necessarily as a time deficit because I know that God's word is powerful and effective mm. and, and able to discern and cut through and all of that. So all I know is that the time I do have, that I make it, uh, I make the most of it, I make it quality um, and, and let God do his work. Uh, so. Totally get it. Um, I understand that just as far as just exposure, 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 and then just not, not as much over here. But I feel like, and I, we've prayed through it, and um, that, that God in, in, his, in his infinite wisdom and his power can, can sift through that. Um, so, I mean, but it's, it's daily. I mean, there, we, don't, we don't skip, skip times. You know, I'm, I'm constantly, this morning, I say, hey, man, uh, to my oldest, I said, make sure you, you do your Bible reading. We, we share through a Bible app, what we're reading and, and the three questions that we go through consistently or what did I read? What stood out the most? Where do I fall short? And what by the grace of God am I going to do about it? Or the Holy Spirit is going to uh, you know, guide me to do about this. Just so yeah. we're intaking the word, we're uh, expressing something from it that stood out and then we're taking it from our head to our heart, hopefully to our hands. You know, outward, so yeah, I think, I think Jesus is really specific with the order of operations that he gives us the Great Commission. He says, probably going to quote this wrong, um, he, sends, he sends people out in order of where they should go, and I, re- and I read that as, be where your feet are. Our first, mi- our first mission is our kids. Like We're called to, mis- to, to minister to our kids before we're ever called to minister anywhere else, and if we miss that, if we miss our wife and kids, like we're going to have to answer for that. It's you know the I'm, church. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna like that is that is my mission. I yeah. I am the biggest problem in my marriage. I'm the biggest problem in my family, and I have to reconcile that. And I have to be able to come to the mat every day and die to myself. And I'm not I'm not saying that I'm good at that. Don't hear me say that. I am terrible, and I still have a lot of work to do. But if we can realize that and understand that our first mission is our kids, and nothing, a lot of other stuff just falls by the wayside. Yeah, and it's, that just makes me look at, like, you know, you have Christ in the church, you know? Like, I have the best example how to lead my church, which is my family. It's through Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. We look at marriage. Marriage is, you know, man and woman, Christ the church. And so we've kind of, uh, you know, my kids are younger. They're not as old. Um, but, but we, we kind of do, like, a Spurgeon thing, like morning and evenings type of thing. And so That's a great one. We get up. No, wow. I read that on my own, but yeah. we get up in the mornings and I'll do a devotion with them. Um, you know, we just finished the reformers. Um, and now we're going to move to church history and go over that. Now we're starting catechisms as well. And then at night, you know, it's a switch off. Sometimes we just finished a uh, way of the warrior kid part two, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and now we're starting case for Christ with my son, you know, nice. with my daughter, we read some books, you know, in regards to, you know, faith and, and Bible stories. Um, one of the books 
I actually read to her the other night was one about pictures about, you know, what are good pictures and what are bad pictures. Oh yeah. We have, we have that. Yeah. So like teaching them at an early age, what's good things to look at, what's bad things to look at. And these are just things that, you know, you pull before bed and have conversations about. And so we really like to use that mornings to, you know, kind of discuss and devote our time to God and then use the evenings to either do the same or kind of devote just to, to a Christ-like living. Um, and then the other thing my wife and I have started to do is we take each older kid cause our youngest is only seven months. Um, but we take each older kid out once a, once a month and we go and spend that quality time with them and talk to them about life in general and kind of get to know what they're going on, you know, with school and stuff. And I think that's so important. Just if we're going to be people of the truth, uh, that we have to be people of the book and we have to try to find ways to bring that into a kid's life. I mean, I remember having a conversation with somebody here recently where I was talking about, uh, you know, men that don't read. And so like these men that, you know, from the moment they graduate high school, they haven't read a book since they think you're silly. If you spend time reading a book, they'd rather do another fantasy football draft. They'd rather go play another round of golf. They'd rather go do something else and they're not going to read. And <clears throat> but they want their kids to read. That's always so interesting to me. And so it's the same thing when someone's in horrific shape, but they want their kids to be in shape when someone has no money, but they want to model to their kids, like how to have good money. Like that's, that's not clean the room. Like don't clean your own room. Right. And so it's like, but the same thing is true. Like y'all seemingly are finding books that are applicable to where your kid is at, at their stage of life, something that they can absorb and take in, but that it leads back to what is being talked about here. Whenever, you know, Paul's talking about truth. And the thing is, is that you would rather your kid reckon with truth now when they're this moldable, as opposed to later when truth smacks them directly in the face. And like, so we talk about, we've talked about porn and what do you do? Like that first time your kid, you know, comes across porn, that is a very, very important moment, not just for them, but for the entire family to understand, like, how are they going to categorize sex and sexual uh, desire and all the, the rightness and those types of things. And here you are showing your kids a picture, a book about pictures, like what pictures are good or what, which are not. It all goes back to as well. Like you don't want to assume that nobody could potentially hurt you. And then as an adult, you're, you're hurt by somebody because you gave them your full trust, uh, whenever they didn't do anything to deserve it. And you maybe, uh, you know, made yourself unsafe in, in the entire process. So I think it's important for all the dads listening to this to be thinking through truth and be thinking about what can you be doing to bring more truth into your household, regardless of what stage you're at with your kids or how old they are. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, and I was just, had just had this thought, you know, we, uh, we do at, uh, around the age of six, a uh, ceremony with our, our kids, including our daughter, who's just a little bit behind. We need to do hers this year. Um, for, uh, we do a, give them a life verse. It's nothing, there's nothing magical about giving them a verse, but it's, one of the things that we highlight is um, on, on the parent side, it's, it's we're ob- observing our children uh, and we're, uh, we're seeing them kind of like Jesus saw um, Peter. He's like, well, you're Simon, but you're going to be Peter. You know, he saw this, this, uh, this state that Simon was in, but he saw what he could be. Um, and, and I kind of t- took that and I was like, you know, we, we can see a lot of good in our children, a lot of potential in our children. It'd be very raw. But um, let's attach, you know, a verse or a, um, a section of scripture to that, because one, we want them to understand that the universe does not revolve around them. Uh, they're actually part of a grander wow. story. Um, and we want them to see that they have a part in God's story, yet still to be determined by God and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But, but we see in them this, this um, raw talent that, that needs to be um, 
uh, helped along the way, you know, as God, as God directs them. So, you know, that's another way of just continually trying to find ways to, um, formalize. I don't know if that's the word, but it's just, no, they're, you know, they're going to get catechized somewhere. That's the yeah. biggest pushback to catechism is like, yeah. oh, you're going to cut. Isn't that like, you know, it's like, Rules and brainwashing is like, man, they're getting catechized wherever they go. Yeah, yeah. So I just want you know these these powerful moments like that that uh, that just give them the opportunity to be like, oh man, that was really cool, and that's something memorable, and and it was there was a lot of meaning behind that. Even if they were six, even if there were seven, you know, they're still gonna look back on that. Yeah, I think know? I think for me, being a dad has changed my outlook. Like I used to be the guy that knew all the athletes. I mean, talking NBA, NFL, soccer baseball to a certain extent. Um, like I could spit stats. I had a PhD in sports stats. Like, cause I looked at that all the time. And then I, then I, you know, you become a father and it's like your kids will, will it, what is important to you will be important to them. And I'll never forget, like I'm a huge soccer fan. I'll never forget you know, my, my son, he's named after a soccer stadium and we, we watch soccer together and you know, he's not, He's not a huge soccer fan, and that's fine. Like, I don't, if he doesn't play, if he never plays soccer the rest of his life, like, cool. But I'll never forget, like, he doesn't know this, but, like, we were watching a game together, and, and he, it was a really big game, and he, like, didn't want to watch it. And I remember thinking, like, oh, you're named after this stadium, and you don't want to watch this? And I, but then I thought, like, like, who cares if he doesn't want to watch it? Like, he will either grow into that and say, okay, dad watches soccer, great. But like in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter. But if I only am concentrated on like all these worldly things, like sports stats, like how many guys have PhDs? I know that that's a really sarcastic term to use, but PhDs in sports stats, but couldn't, but couldn't tell you all 66 books of the Bible. Couldn't tell you anything about what scripture says. And that's important to me. And I, I probably, this is probably me beating a dead horse, but like, knowing the word is maybe the most important thing you can do for your own kids is you personally knowing what's in the Bible and you can't tell them to read the Bible if you're not willing to read the Bible. And I, yeah. Man, what better huge. authority yeah. that, you know, it's like, well, why do I do this? Cause I said, so no, you can be like, because it's written. Yeah, and these men, they love to lament when they don't have the impact on their wife and children that they want, but then they signed up for another fancy football draft. They signed up for another beer league softball uh, tournament. They signed up for all these other different things, and I'm not saying any of those things in and of themselves are bad, but whenever that becomes an overwhelming focus of who you are as a person and you wrap up your identity in that, your kids will notice. Right. And so if dad can name everybody on Manchester United, you know, for the last 10 years that there, there was a roster, but he can't say what your kid's favorite book from school was this year, because there's a lot of dads that they don't know that they can't remember the name of their kid's teacher. They can't remember the name of their kid's best friend, the first girl that they had a crush on. But gosh, they can name you some obscure guy that came off the bench during the World Series to hit a pinch hit home run. <laughs> and the thing is, is like it's because of where our focus is, because when you put so much effort and focus into the EPL or the NFL or NASCAR or wherever, your thing is, then you will absorb where you are focused. 
And so if you are focused on your family, you will absorb things and you will be ready to step in in those moments, in those exact moments where here's the book that would be great for where my kid is right now. Here's the date night that needs to happen with which kid and with which parent. Here's the next step in their maturation as a person. Here's a life first that will apply to them because I've become an expert in my young child to where I know the things that they're going to struggle with as they continue to age and the things that they're going to do amazing with. But go for it. I just think. This is what I love about Andante. It's just teaching men to lead. Mm. Like, I feel like that's what's been lacking in, the, in modern Christianity is men leading their homes, men leading their wives to church, their, children's to church, their children to church on Sunday. Like, I, could, I can tell you times like six years ago when I wasn't on fire for church, I wasn't getting anything really out of it. It wasn't built towards me, you know, uh, on me being a leader in my family. Like, I, we'd skip it. Like, let's just skip church. That doesn't happen in my house. Like, if we skip church, somebody's sick. And usually somebody's staying home with that one kid that's sick and everybody else is going to church. So I just think, like, if we can lead in the word and we can lead our children to church and our wives to church and we can show our leadership, our love and, our, and what we cherish the most through scripture, was going to bleed off onto them. Um, I 100% agree with that. I, I, you made me think of this, this sermon by Paul Washer. Um, I, I love, love Paul Washer. He's, he's great. He's a guy that will bring truth. He does not care. Uh, this kind of changed my whole perspective, and I pulled it out my phone um, to read it. But it's a sermon. He's talking about men's authority. And I, I like, and I, I titled this note, My Authority. I have the authority to make every decision I make for the glory of God, for the benefit, for the benefit of my wife, for the benefit of my children. But what about me? Like, I'm not in the formula. As the head of my home, I have the right to serve everyone in my home and go to bed more tired than everyone else in my home. I have the authority to work very hard at the mission, come home and know that my day has just begun. And that has completely shifted how I view my role. Because like authority, that carries a lot of weight. Like we think like, oh, do this, do that. But when I heard that, it was like, oh man, that's literally the Bible is talking about your authority as a, as a man, as a head of your family is to serve. You have the authority to serve until your knuckles bleed. Yep. And so like, like what you're talking about just made me think of that. And that's just such a beautiful depiction of what we are called to do as men. And if, if we miss on that, man, we're going we're gonna to have to answer for it. I just, I look at it as if my wife sees me cherish God cherishes like she's going to do the same and if my children see the same thing they're going to do the same if my children see me cherish their mother like christ does the church they're going to do the same thing yeah yeah and it's just it's modeling that and that's the thing that we find a lot of dads don't do is they they will not model the things they want to see in their children and especially for us as men we all have sons and this goes back to the beginning of galatians 4 it's adoption as sons. And there is something different whenever you are modeling after your father. And so if you are digging into this book, you're going to help be able to catechize your kids in the direction of modeling after the heavenly father. So there is certainly more that could be said on this, (laughs) but we got to leave it there, but come back next Sunday where we will dig into Galatians five. Make sure you read that. So you're prepared for next week. And before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the only link I've got for you is our donation link. Guys, if you like the content that we create, the only way we're able to pull that off is because we have guys like you that are partnering with us on a monthly 
weekly basis to make sure that we can continue putting out great content and equipping men around the globe to push back darkness. So please go to that link on daunted.life backslash donate to become a monthly donor. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.